Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, welcome to Crimeland. My name's Julie J, and I have a quick favour to ask. Well, two really. Firstly, if you could download this episode of Crimeland, I would be eternally grateful as this is what counts towards charts. And also, if you have enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate if you could take the time to rate or review us on iTunes. A quick disclaimer as well that absolutely no disrespect is meant to any of the people discussed in this episode. Sources for this story include Wikipedia, Cleveland19.com and The Beacon Journal. This week, I'm talking to the very funny, hilarious, the truly lovely... Katie Boyle. Katie Boyle! About the death of Hannah Hill. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, thanks for having me. Just uh, if you don't know Katie, you should know Katie. Just to say that Katie is a very, very funny stand-up comedian and currently living in New York City. And you've got a, a very funny podcast with Des Bishop called... The Shift. The Shift. And you also have a new podcast that's coming out. Or is it out yet, the new uh, one? It's uploaded on some, one thing, but it's just waiting for iTunes and Spotify. But I think it will be this weekend, fingers crossed. But it's called We Met IRL. And you, you, I love the premise. Do you want to just tell us uh, what the premise is as well? I love this. Sure. It's just uh, where I have, uh, I interview people who have met um, their partners in real life or even like success or failure stories, just of meeting someone in real life, kind of like the anti-online dating. It was like, before the pandemic, I had this idea because I wanted to like get tips from people so I could meet someone in real life and not online date. But now I have to because of the pandemic. So the, we kind of the, just the pandemic that. is that the pandemic is a big plot twist, isn't it, in everyone's lives? It really is. <laughs> but I, I love I love the idea. So I can't wait to listen to it. It sounds brilliant. And the shift as well. You're so gas on the shift, Katie. I love you on the shift. Okay. So let me tell you. Let me tell you about this story. Okay, so. 
Hannah Hill was an 18-year-old girl who lived in Akron, Ohio. She was an only child and had just graduated from high school. During the summer, she had got herself a part-time job working as a secretary. She bought her own car and was looking forward to starting college in the autumn. She was popular and had a lot of friends. Uh, so she would loads of friends from school. She'd actually been crowned winter queen at one of her school dances. So she also had a boyfriend called Brad Oborn, who she lived with for a while before she moved back to her parents. So he was 19. He was only a year older than her. Um, but they lived together for a couple of weeks, but they had a very tempestuous relationship. And at times, Brad got physically abusive, hence why she moved back home to her parents. Although they did stay together, they stayed in a relationship after that. Amazing. It's always the ones that are like, have everything going for them, isn't it? And then they have a shitty boyfriend. And I know. Yeah, yeah. Like, and it's, I guess, you know, it was one of those, like, obviously, they've been going out in high school and all that kind of crack. They moved in, like, they were very young to move in together. But the fact that he had been physically abusive to her, like, clearly, you know, a, ma- a massive red flag. But they, they did stay together even when she moved back to her mom and dad's. So on Wednesday, which was May 19th, 1999, Hannah got home from work and got into her PJs. So she was finished work got home from the office, got into the PJs, which of course would suggest like you're not planning to go out. You just want to have like a cozy night in. Yeah. Yeah. So at about nine, she called her friend Jennifer. So Jennifer was like her BFF, her best buddy, and told her that she was just staying in. And then she made a few more calls, after which she actually got changed. So she changed into kind of going out clothes to leave the house. And she left the house at 10 after telling her mother that she was going out for a while. Hannah's mother would comment that it seemed like she was a bit bothered or disturbed by something. So obviously she had become aware of something during a phone call or somebody had said something to her and she was just a bit thrown and suddenly she was getting dressed and telling her mom that she was going out and she'd see her later. So the following morning, her mother and father noted that noticed that Hannah hadn't actually come home that night. Now, they weren't panicky at that point because they just presumed that she'd stayed over at a friend's house or at Brad's. But later on that morning, her boss called uh, called the pair, her parents to say that she hadn't turned up for work either. And it was then that her mother knew something was very wrong because Hannah was very responsible. She wasn't the type of girl to just not show up for work. So the mother knew straight away that something was up here. So that evening, her mother filed a missing persons report with the police. So what's really strange about this, the police took no immediate action whatsoever. So the mother went in and she said, look, you know, my daughter left the house last night. Nobody's heard from her. She didn't show up for work. She hasn't come home. I want to find the missing persons report. But the police, the kind of their attitude was very dismissive. They were like, look, she's 18 and 18-year-olds go off on their own all the time. So they actually didn't find a missing person report at that point. You hear that a lot, though, especially with... This is... Yes, yeah, so this is in America. I use it. Yeah, I Ohio. Yeah. Yeah, no, because they... I think it's like 48, 48 hours before they even look into it. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not sure... Like, actually, it's funny because obviously both our dads are guards. So, like, we should have the knowledge, but we don't... I, maybe you have the knowledge, but I don't. I'm not sure if that applies in Ireland, necessarily. No, I think in Ireland, they'd be more like... Because usually it's the local guard, you know him. There's a bit more yeah. immunity. So they'd be like, oh, yeah, sure, look into it. And if they... Yeah, I think it'd be a bit more... Where, yeah, I, I 
Actually, that's a really good point, I think, because there is that definitely, I think, in smaller towns as well, there's that community element. I mean, I think, you know, the 48 hour thing is really imagine if you're in that position as a family member and you were told you have to wait 48 hours. I mean, those 48 hours are the most crucial hours. Oh, it's it's crazy. It's ridiculous. Yeah, no, that's like like if someone's not picking up their phone, they didn't go to work and they're not at their friends or their boyfriends like there's something something is up yeah people don't just it's so rare that people are like you know what I just want to go off grid I don't care who's worrying about me I just want to turn the phone off I don't want to use my bank cards so people so that people can't find me like it's so so rare that that happens like usually something is wrong so it kind of goes against logic that you would say okay we get that you're concerned but let's just wait two days yeah, no. I'm... Yeah, so this this police, this police station, well, certainly this police team were very much of that mentality. They were like, look, she's 18, she's technically an adult, you know, just, you know, give it a bit of time. We're sure that she's going to turn up. So her family obviously were not happy to do that. They began going around her friends asking where she could be. Hannah's friend Jennifer went to speak to her boyfriend, Brad, to see if he knew, if he knew where she was. But he said... He was as in the dark as hers. So he had no idea where Hannah was. Um, uh, This is what he told Jennifer. Jennifer also made contact with, so she was kind of going around the group of acquaintances, group of friends. She also made contact with another male friend of Hannah's called Denny Ross, who again said he knew nothing of Hannah's whereabouts. So two days later, the police got a call about an abandoned car which matched Hannah's car. But unbelievably, her missing person report still had not been filed on the system. So at this stage, the police had taken the details, like they'd taken Hannah's details, but they hadn't actually put it into the computer, put it into the system. So the person who took this call, the cop who took this call, didn't even know that there was a missing girl, let alone that this was a hugely important bit of evidence in her disappearance. Instead, he just sent another police officer out to put a parking ticket on it, and the car was left where it was on the side of the road oh, in Akron. This is crazy. This is ridiculous. I'd be so, like, oh, so I'm awful. Now, I'm now convinced it's the policeman that they went in to take the to give the report that he's the murderer, and he was like, oh yeah. Well, yeah it's do you know what? It's so negligent. It kind of defies belief, doesn't it? You just think, my God, like especially because you know Akron isn't a huge city the fact that there there's this level of disinterest at a police you know within you know the police force is just completely bizarre like if you like the thing is firstly you think you would be like not to be like a sociopath or I'm not sure if I'm using the right word but like you think you'd be like ooh, missing person this is exciting this is good for our career well that's true yeah like I said it's something probably a bit out of the ordinary for them but no like instead they're literally just like yeah let's just give it a bit of time this is probably going to be fine yeah and if they have the time to go out and put a ticket on the car they have the time to like go and look for like put yeah it's just mental it doesn't make it's, any it's really strange and at that stage as well because they had obviously obviously the parents had given the reg number they had given the description of the car so like this car you know matched Hannah's car and obviously it was her car like the, it was the same reg it was the same make the same model and nobody was putting two and two together here they just put a parking ticket on it and went about their merry way 
So Brad, the boyfriend, went to the police station the next day to ask them to do more in terms of looking for Hannah. And it was here that police noticed he was covered in scratches. When asked about the scratches, he told police that he and Hannah had had a fight the day before she had gone missing and she had scratched him then. Of course, they found this extremely suspicious, but ultimately could do nothing, given that there was no actual evidence at that point to suggest foul play. Jesus. So it's, you know, you you would be thinking, OK, that's not looking good for Brad. Yeah, that's obviously like self-defence. She was like scratching her way out of him trying to kill her. I mean, and you kind of think, I mean, you wouldn't, I mean, I, I just from my own personal experience here, I've had fights with men, but I've, I've never, as you say, I've, it's never gotten to the point that I've scratched them. Like you would immediately think kind of self-defense, that level of aggression. A hundred percent, I think so. But, yeah, and they had, obviously the friends would have attested to the fact like that they had a tempestuous relationship and that Brad would have been physically abusive, you know, as well in the past. But they were suspicious, but obviously they couldn't really go on anything else because he was like, yeah, that happened the day before she left. He had come down to say, you need to be looking for her. So they were like, look, OK, would he be coming down here telling us to look for her if he had actually killed her? We just probably have to take him at face value here. So the police then released information to the media. Finally. So this is like days later. They finally release information to the to the local news reports. They said so they, they kind of went through, obviously, you know, where Hannah was last seen, what she was wearing, um, the description of the car, all of that. And of course, in response, a lot of people called back about, the, so they called about the car that had been abandoned for days on the side of the road. So they were like, yeah, th- this car has actually been here for like days now. Two of these calls were told to just call back the next day. Oh, for fuck's sake really just like again just defies belief so a full week a week seven days after her disappearance so at this point tens of people had called and said look there's a car down the road it matches the description of this girl who's gone missing um and a week later they finally sent someone to look in the car police obviously went to the, went to the location they opened the boot. Oh, for fuck's sake. I know. And there they found Hannah's battered body. Oh. So she was in the boot of her own car. This like lovely, gorgeous, ambitious, vibrant 18-year-old girl who had like been in this, obviously been in the boot of this car for nearly a week. And people had called the police over and over again and they just hadn't bothered to actually inspected in any real sense like they didn't have to do any police work all they had to do was fucking open like look in the car and they would have yeah finding her body in a fucking woods or field oh my gosh really really awful so obviously hannah's parents like would have been completely distraught but especially because they actually learned of the news they learned that a body had been found in hannah's car on local media reports So the police actually didn't even get in touch with them. It was them learning of it that way. And actually her mother said, I just automatically knew it was Hannah because, you know, why else would there be a body in the boot? You know, it was her car. She said she knew in that moment that it was Hannah, but the police hadn't actually dined to give them the courtesy of getting in touch with with them themselves. So they learned to find the media, which is just awful devastating sure look if you can't even then you can't even trust them to find the murderer like that'd be my thing yeah 
really bad so like just in terms of like poor Hannah um she was found I mean obviously how she was found was very just it was in a, a really kind of very it was a very distressing state so she was naked from the waist down and her top and bra had been pushed up she was also posed in a sexual way suggesting some kind of sexual assault she was badly bruised which suggested that she also had been seriously and repeatedly physically assaulted so her body had been found on the roadside as i said you know nearly a week after the fact naturally the community was furious with some people at the time thinking that hannah could have been potentially saved had they got there sooner? Because obviously at that point, they weren't sure how she had died. And they were saying, you know, what if she was alive when she was still in the car? All of that. So immediately, especially given the fact that the local community were up in arms, there were a lot of officers assigned to the case. An autopsy was done on, on Hannah and the cause of death was deemed to be strangulation. Okay. So she had been deemed to be dead before she was placed in the boot of the car. Uh, they also found an unknown white substance on her lip and she had a bite mark on one of her arms. They concluded that she had had sexual intercourse shortly before her death. The way her body was found also pointed to the, to the fact that this was clearly a sexually motivated attack. Immediately, police focused in on, so who's always the first person they focus in on in these things? The boyfriend? The boyfriend, yes. So the boyfriend, Brad, was their initial suspect. He obviously had a record of physically abusing her and he'd also had scratches on his person when he came, when he did, which he did say came from Hannah, like he admitted that himself. So they began interviewing him the very day her body was found. They brought him in. But for some unknown reason, they dropped Brad nearly immediately as a suspect and they began looking at other people that same day. But I wonder why that was. Very strange because they didn't, it was very, very weird because they didn't actually have a recording of the conversation and they dropped him like nearly immediately and said, no, 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 it's definitely not him and started looking at other people. So just people found that maybe a lot of people at the time thought they were a bit too quick to do that. Yeah, that's a bit yeah. odd. So they were, but who knows? I mean, obviously, because people don't have access to what was said in the interviews, etc. Like maybe he had, a, you know, a stellar alibi. You know, maybe there was some other reason that they said, look, it's obviously not this guy. You know, we'll let him go. But they also recovered uh, Hannah's mobile phone and found that she had called a lot of people, a lot of people the night of her death, including Denny Ross. So this was the friend, the male friend that Jennifer Conton asked, you know, do you know anything about Hannah? And he had said no. So Hannah's friends were of the belief that she and Denny were not close. So it struck Hannah's friend Jennifer is very strange that Hannah had been calling him the night of her death because she wouldn't have thought that they were buddies. Oh, my God. This is such a plot twist. Yeah, like, was she, essentially, Denny, he was this kind of, I guess he was a bit of a player. So his house was kind of known as a party house. It was an adult-free zone. He had his own apartment. It was like a second-floor apartment. Uh, he was known for kind of being, you know, maybe not, he wasn't a trustworthy friend, wasn't really a trustworthy partner. Um, just a bit of, maybe a bit of a dodgy guy in the sense that he kind of didn't really have much loyalty to people. And Hannah had communicated this to Jennifer. So her friend Jennifer did say, oh, she had actually told me to watch Denny that he could be aggressive when things were not going his way. So Hannah had told Jennifer, yeah, like he's a fun guy, good crack at parties, but, you know, I wouldn't trust him, was what she had said about him. Yeah. 
So Denny also was no angel when it came to the law. So two months before this, Denny had been caught trying to sell $500 of cocaine. Two days before Hannah's disappearance, he'd been found guilty of cocaine trafficking and sentenced to, which this surprised me because it didn't seem like a lot, sentenced to two years probation. So he didn't get any jail time. Okay, that's so weird. Yeah, well, anyway. It seems strange, doesn't it? Yeah, that is like he related to somebody in the police. Well, he's yeah, he did. No, he did come from a bit of a moneyed background. So it could have been that as well. Um, But like, yeah, so he didn't get any jail time. This is two days before Hannah disappeared. So on May 26th, which was the day um, that Hannah's body had been found, they went to see Denny at his apartment. When police got there, they saw that one of his arms was broken and and in a cast. He said he had broken his arm in a fight. He told police that Hannah had come to her ho- his house at 11pm the night she disappeared. This was the first time he had mentioned a visit from Hannah and police obviously found this really suspicious that he hadn't mentioned this before. Mm. During questioning, during questioning Denny, told, questioning, Denny told them that she hadn't been happy with Brad, so that she'd come over and was talking about how she was having a lot of issues in her relationship with Brad, that he was really controlling and she just wasn't happy. And that's what they've been talking about. And he also said that they had kissed and she left his house after midnight. Well, this is all weird because why would she be at home chilling in her pajamas and then all of a sudden go, oh, I need to go talk to someone about Brad, get up, get changed in the middle of the night and go to this guy's house. It's and like- it's Denny. Yeah. Because Jennifer was like, I didn't even really think that they were buddies. Um, but, you know, obviously, you know, but in saying that, she was obviously, she obviously had, um, not necessarily that she was friendlier with Denny than she led on to her friends, but she had rang him the night of the murder and stuff. So, you know, who's to say she obviously did know him a little bit better, maybe that than the friends might have presumed. But uh, a big, the big red flag, of course, was that this girl had been missing and a friend of his, supposedly a friend of his, and yet he had still not mentioned this visit to anyone when a huge hunt for Hannah had been underway. So it had been a week and he was now telling people, yes, she actually came over to my house. Yeah. Why would you lie? There'd be no reason to if you were having really, Yeah, yeah. So really bad. So uh, police decided they needed to search his apartment. So they got a search warrant, whereupon they raided his home. They found blood splatters everywhere. So they found blood splatters everywhere. They also found a garbage bag, which was under a bush outside his apartment. So kind of in the garden in front of his apartment. Inside the garbage bag was a pair of woman's pants covered in blood and feces, shoes and a purse. Oh, my God. So within 24 hours, so the purse, obviously, you know, they could ascertain straight away that this purse belonged to Hannah. And within 24 hours of finding of finding this bag and finding Hannah's body, Denny Ross had been charged with murder. Okay. So Denny's father put together a team of top defence lawyers to represent Denny. His family were convinced that Denny was innocent and that he had not done this. Even when experts test the clothes, obviously the clothes had been proven to belong to Hannah. And they also found a semen match to Denny Ross and Hannah's underwear. They also found the mysterious white white substance on Hannah's mouth was a potential match for the material Denny's cast had been made of. And the bite mark on De- on Hannah's arm also matched uh, the pr- the the kind of bite print of Denny's teeth, so it was a match for Denny's teeth as well. 
this is a home run then. He fucking did it. Overwhelming evidence. Yeah. But so his lawyers claimed that the state had rushed to charge him and hadn't looked into other people. So this was kind of one of the lines of thinking they took. They said the police have been eager to make up for last time and certainly wanted to solve the case. And accordingly, to Denny's, according to Denny's lawyers, were too quick to pin it on Denny, despite the fact they obviously have been supported by overwhelming evidence here. This is ridiculous. I hate people with money. Stop with your money. Yeah. So Denny, so Denny Ross was charged with aggravated murder, given that it appeared that she had also been sexually assaulted prior to her death, which is a capital offence in Ohio, meaning that he could face the death penalty. Again, his lawyers insisted that there was nothing to say the sex with Anna had not been consensual. His team were also less than impressed with how quick the police were, were to dismiss her boyfriend, Brad. They maintained, this was one, they took a couple of funny angles with this, the, the lawyer, Denny's lawyers. They maintained, first of all, they said, he his apartment was next door to what they term uh, what they termed an adult bookstore, in other words, like a porn shop, and they were thinking, well, maybe there were some shenanigans, and you know, Hannah, they weren't disputing the fact that Hannah had been in the apartment, and like Denny, you know, had said that they had talked and they kissed and she'd left. Maybe when she left, you know, the bookstore probably attracts some unsavory characters. Maybe something happened. In relation to that. But how would she, what, so she meets the bookstore people, they beat her up and she still manages to keep the little piece of cast on her lip the whole time? No. Yeah, that's, well, that's actually very true. Yeah, of course. Then they also maintained that there were several fast food wrappers found in her car and Denny's defence didn't think that they had looked into that either. So in other words, well, there was all this, these fast food wrappers, maybe the person who killed her had been in her car um, and, you know, nobody actually took DNA of these fast food wrappers. Uh, now, the main thing, though, that Denny's lawyers focused on were the blood splatters. And this was the thing. None of them matched Hannah Hill. Oh. So there was no, there was no match whatsoever. They went through all of them. None of them matched. So that suggested that, you know, the way he had said about the arm that he'd been in a fight. Yeah. So... That, from the defence point of view, they felt that kind of corroborated their theory. Well, he said he was in a fight and that's how he broke his arm and none of the, none of this blood matches Hannah. There was also no evidence whatsoever to link Denny to Hannah's car. So this was another thing. So clearly whoever killed her drove the car to the location it was found in, but there were no links whatsoever. So no DNA, no hair, no fibres, no nothing to link it to Denny. Yeah, well, why was it? Why did he bite her then? Did he ever explain why he bit her? Well, the, actually, I don't know. I, I mean, I think with the with the bite, probably when he, I mean, maybe would he have said that this was, I don't know, during during sex? Maybe would that have been his angle? I imagine it probably would have been. But did um, he end up having sex with her in the end? This, well, he did. Yeah, this was the thing because when they found the semen. There was there was some sexual contact there. And I was actually trying to find the details of did he admit that they actually had intercourse? But I don't know because I think in terms of um from an intercourse point of view, the semen was just there was some sexual contact, but not necessarily that there was intercourse because it was found on her underwear. Yes, the whole thing is why would she leave her underwear 
behind and her purse. Well, this, uh, yes. And actually, we'll get to that about the the pants and the purse and all that as well. So this was, now, by the way, uh, this is me saying what the defence were coming out with about, well, there's no, you know, none of the blood spatters match and, you know, there was no evidence in the car. But uh, another thing that they said, again, this is the defence. So another thing that the the defence thought was pretty implausible was that a man with a broken arm living on a second floor apartment would kill Hannah drag her body to the car, drive the car a mile and a half down the road to this location, remove her pants, which were covered in blood, put these in a bag and bring this bag back to the apartment where he stored them for eight days. So the defence's angle was, why would he do that? It's so incriminating. He'd have to be so stupid to bring this evidence back to his apartment and keep it there for over a week. Or, okay, so I have two, just for quickly. Either... He, the pants was off before she put the body. He just put the naked body in the car. Oh, yes. Oh, very, yeah, very, very true. Because why, if she's already been hurt and they've had, he's raped her or whatever, her pants would be already off. And then maybe he like used the pants to like dry his cock or something. I don't fucking know. And then um, he just puts it in the bin and then he puts her and he just forgot about it. Or or I guess it could have been, it could have been planted there if, if the if brands knew that, that she... Well, that's actually, that's, that's a really good point about like, as in it could have been before. I actually didn't think of that at all when I was going through that story. I think that's a brilliant point. The second one you said there about it being planted, you see, this was the thing. Denny maintained that he'd been framed. So this was one that his lawyers were quick to emphasise as well. So the bag of clothes was the only real thing linking the murder, say, to Denny, other than the fact that um, obviously his semen had been uh, found in her underwear. And he said, well, you know, obviously she called over to the house and we kind of, you know, were making out or whatever. And that's how that happened. But in in terms of the murder itself, his defence team were like, oh, well, it's only the bag of clothes. Like, that's the only real link. And they maintained that the bag of clothes would have been planted. Uh, That would have been one possibility. The other possibility, of course, was that maybe somebody else did it and helped Danny. Maybe he didn't kill her alone. Maybe there were more, you know, maybe there was more than one person involved. And of course, semen get into the underwear. Nobody can plant that. And that's not something... It's just weird. Well, yeah, you see, the, the thing with, you see, this is, yeah, of course, like the thing, the fact that he didn't, for me, I think actually the most incriminating element is the fact that he never mentioned that Hannah had been in his house. Obviously, the phone gave away that Hannah had called him. Yeah. And then he said, oh, well, she'd been in the house like we were making out. And then he announces this like a week after the fact. Like for me, that's the most incriminating thing. Um, but obviously the other possibility is that he did it on his own. Like that's, the, so there's only three really. He did it with someone, you know, he's he's been framed. He did it with the help of someone else. There was more than one person involved or he did it on his own. Like they're the only three possibilities. So his trial began on the October 17th, 2000. Hannah's friend Jennifer was called and told the court that Denny had repeatedly lied to her, telling Jennifer he had not seen Hannah the night she had died. The question was, why would he repeatedly deny it to friends for a week if he had nothing to hide? Like, for me, that's the big one. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, Police also said the night they searched the apartment, they had heard a noise that sounded like a thud, something landing outside, which they claimed was Denny throwing the evidence out into the garden. There was a lot of talk at the time that perhaps the police had planted this bag of clothing and shoes. So this 
was kind of coming from Denny's defence team, that the police had planted this bag. Uh, they obviously had obviously been vilified, the police and the media, for failing to act on, first of all, the missing person report and then not responding to multiple calls regarding her abandoned car. So many felt that they had probably planted the evidence in a bid to pin it on Denny and get the case closed. And just to be seen to be doing, you know, their jobs properly. This was exactly what his defence team proposed had happened. The state tried to argue that Hannah had been sexually assaulted before she was murdered. Forensically, Denny had been proven to have had some kind of sexual contact with Hannah before the murder. Again, his team argued that they had had consensual sexual contact and that she had left his apartment alive. So... Obviously, Hannah had been severely, you know, the, the death itself, you know, was a really awful death. She'd been severely beaten. She had obviously, you know, her pants were removed. She'd been posed in a sexual way with her legs spread. So thus, there obviously could be no question that sex did play some part in her death. So the fact that yeah. he was admitting to have supposedly consensual sex with her and then a few hours later she was dead, you know, like none of it's, you know, none of us looking good. Well, here's the thing. If it the only thing for the Danny guy, I still think he did it. But let's say if they were right, like riding on the side and she still is the brag guy and he's not sure that she goes missing when they and it's a secret and they've been doing this secret for a while. Then when people call and be like, were you with Anna? He'd be like, no, just like maybe like hoping she turns up and doesn't want to like rat her out for her. Like, well, that's, yeah, that's it. That, like, I, a few people did say that, that, like, maybe he was just covering his own arse if this was some kind of secret liaison. Because obviously her friends weren't aware that she kind of knew Denny a little bit better than maybe she was letting on either. Um, but, like, in terms of how her body was found, definitely, like, sex would have played a part. Um, and I guess because Denny was, like, forensically speaking, he was the last person to have that kind of contact with her. It's very incriminating. But I mean, like, what? Like, I still think so. But let's say if they were having a little secret and they, like, had sex and stuff and um, then she goes out to meet the Brad and be, like, going to end it. And then he or he knows about it or he, like, saw or something. And like he it. flips. And he flips. And he, well, like, that's, yeah, there was, a, there was a lot of, there. The, basically, when this trial was happening, people were like, it was either Brad or it was this fella. That's kind of how people were thinking. They were like, it has to have been either the boyfriend or this guy. So that is kind of how it was depicted in the media. And that's what, how the local community community felt as well. Yeah. But obviously Brad had been dismissed early on. And there was this evidence like linking Denny, like the bag of clothes, the shoes, um, yeah. like the semen and the underwear. That's all pointing to Denny. Uh, now, admittedly, there had been nothing found in the car, like no fibres, no hair no DNA linking Denny to the cars. That was a problem for the prosecution. But like the other elements, it would all be pointing to Denny. Yeah. So Hannah had had the white residue on her lip, which was thought to have matched Denny's cast. But Denny's defence hired an expert who said that this material was not necessarily a match to Denny's cast, but was also a match to other materials, such as material which is often found conveniently in the, ins in the inside of car boots. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's it, it that was like this expert was like, no, 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 it's not necessarily that. Um, so initially the jury was very divided, especially regarding the bag of clothes. So some believed he had kept the clothes as some kind of like trophy, 
But others thought that it defied any kind of logic that a killer would keep something incriminating in their own apartment in the wake of such a serious, heinous crime. So, like, it's it's what way would you swing on it? I don't think he would. Keep it. I don't think he would keep it. No one would keep it. And if you are going to keep it, you wouldn't keep it in the trash. Or is that that's as they call it? In, in like, in, well, yeah, it was in. So it was in like a black bag, like you know, like one of those, like a big kind of a refuse sack thing. So that's what the stuff had actually been put in. And they were like, "Why would he keep it for?" over a week like especially because like she had been in the apartment and also he was on probation as well so if you have committed this crime would you keep something so incriminating like in your own home people were a little bit but then others were saying well maybe he was reckless maybe he just wanted to kind of black it out of his mind and pretend like none of this had happened and he was going to deal with it later um so you'd put it like you'd bury it somewhere and you'd like come back for it later or something it's it's do you know what I personally think whatever way you go on it so whether you go okay he kept it for a week or whether you say you know no like it was it's it's very it's really hard to know either way actually yeah it's odd I I think I would be really split I actually I'd be really torn if I was on the jury when it comes to the bag but one thing actually um that a jury did point out after the fact because obviously the jury were allowed to speak to the media after the trial one juror had pointed out that the bag had not been closed at the top it was not tied in any way so if it had actually been dropped from a two-story window how would the bag remain closed surely it would open and the clothes would fall out yes this is good jesus now i'm like he's lucky he has money Do you know what though? It's it's the these little details. Like I I am so bad. I'm so bad for detail. If I was on a jury, I never would have copped that. But it was one of the jurors who was like, "That doesn't make sense." Oh yeah, Jesus. Now the only thing is the flip side. If you were dropping something from a two story window, you know, if you'd kind of twisted the top, you wouldn't have tied it. But like, would you still? Would it open? I. What do you think? Ah. Uh... It might not. Yeah, it might not if it's heavy it enough. It might not, actually. No, Jesus. Because oh. if it's not, you know the way some two stories, it is a two story, but it's not even that high. That like, you know, maybe if it was twisted, maybe if it fell kind of gently, maybe it wouldn't open. I don't know. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not good at the physics side of things, but it's just, it's, it's, it's maybe, you know, something to think about. So a lot of the jurors had thought that he had been framed. This was the, the obviously the angle his defence team took. At this point, the jury felt that there was not enough evidence to say that he had raped Hannah that night, which meant that aggravated murder was off the table. So they, the first charge they dealt with was the sexual assault. And they said, look, there's not enough here to say that he raped her. So we'll now just look at the murder. So they had signed off the aggravated part not guilty on that count. So now they were looking at, I was going to say just regular murder, but that sounds so, dis, you know, dismissive. But they were looking at the murder part. So a few minutes into the deliberation on this charge, somebody came in and told the jurors to stop discussing the case immediately. Moments earlier, the judge had been given a note saying that one of the jurors had been reading media reports on the case. And this meant that the jury was now biased. Oh, my God. So, you know, the way when you're on a jury and you're not supposed to be looking at any other information other than what's presented in the trial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. 
this is epic this should be like a movie isn't it crazy I mean do you know what you think as well like oh my god poor Hannah's family so at this point now they're being told the jury has now been compromised because somebody was watching the news they were reading articles it's now been compromised so I mean talk about all that work has now actually gone to waste Jesus Christ. I mean, I actually, to be honest, the juror, I'd say, just felt terrible. I mean, wouldn't you feel all, like, wouldn't you feel so bad? Well, how did they find out that you're reading the news? I don't, do you know what? I was interested in that, that I wonder, I mean, obviously it would have been, I don't know, like then, was it that a juror was seen reading a newspaper? Did they say to somebody, you know, did they make a comment about something they had seen on the news? I was actually wondering that. I wonder how they found out about it. Who does that benefit as well? Does that benefit the Jenny people? Well, actually, that's true. I mean, I suppose it would. Well, we'll get to this. This is a major plot twist in a moment. But it would actually probably benefit the defence. So you'd wonder, would it be coming from them maybe? Yeah. Yeah, I just like... I just feel people with money as well. You're like, oh, do they pay your, I don't know. Well, the the thing is that's unfortunately money, you know, money talks certainly, I think, in any justice system, not just the American justice system, like certainly in Ireland as well. You know, I think that would be the case. So there could have been an element of that. But what this juror had, had, uh, had seen was that Brad, Hannah's boyfriend, had passed a lie detector test. So this is what he had encountered in this media report. So because the juror, now obviously a lie detector test isn't admissible in court, but you know the way you tend to kind of give it a lot of weight as well. So this guy, Brad, had passed a lie detector test. So this juror then was thinking, well, it's not Brad. So this is what comes back to people were thinking it's either Brad or it's this guy, Denny. People weren't really thinking this could have been, you know, a random attack. They were thinking either the boyfriend or this guy, that she had uh, had been in some way physically intimate with, whether it was consensual or, you know, in all likelihood, maybe not consensual, but it was either of these two men. So because the juror now thought that Brad wasn't guilty, he automatically thought, well, Denny must be guilty. So that's why it was problematic. Oh. Because, he, because he wasn't supposed to be aware of this lie detector test because it's not admissible in court. Okay. So some so some of the jury were still thinking maybe it's Brad. And then this juror was like, oh, sure, it can't be Brad because he passed a lie detector test. So straight away, everyone's going to think differently then. Yeah, yeah. So the trial would have to be redone. But because so this is the real, like, just oh, it's so it's so cruel, this twist. So, so cruel. So the trial would have to be redone. But because... They had just signed the papers to say Denny was not guilty of rape. Yeah. This would break double jeopardy. Oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah. So in other words, he could not be charged again for aggravated murder. Oh, this is insane. Isn't it insane? So Denny, like he couldn't be tried, tried for aggravated murder, so he could not be tried again for this crime. No, oh, that's ridiculous. That's crazy. Yeah. So because the jury could not be allowed to deliberate any further and because double je- jeopardy had now been broken, this meant that Denny, Denny Ross, was now a free man. Oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah. So he was placed on probation and in 2004, so this is all happening to, in uh, in the year 2000, 
and the start of 2001. So in 2004, so it was actually December 2000. So in 2004, four years later, Denny was sentenced to 25 years in prison when he was found uh, guilty of raping a woman in Akron. Oh, my God. Same city. Yeah. So he got 25 years for that four years later. So, you know, when you hear that, you kind of look back over everything else and you're like, okay. Yeah. And here's the thing as well. Like, it's like, um, that's so horrible that that future girl had to pay for that. Yes. That would have never happened to her if they had to just put them away. Exactly. they could have as well paid that juror the information just to flip the case because it's convenient how, oh, after they sign that, that's when the when the case. It's all it's a bit it was all a bit too neat for Denny, really. Like it worked out a bit too well for him. And, you know, as you say, the real tragedy there as well is that another woman had to pay for what was essentially, you know, I, I mean, it was a, it was a technical glitch. You know, the worst part of that is, though, 25 years, he'll still be, what, 50? He'll be grand. Well, yes, he he was supposed to get out in 25 years. But then in September 2012, an exception was made in Ohio. And a retrial was announced to try Denny once more for Hannah's killing. So 13, 13 years after her murder, they tried him again. And this time he was found guilty of murder, assault, tampering with evidence and abuse of a corpse. Good. Yeah. So what a prick. So he was sentenced to life in prison and will be eligible for parole in 2046 when he is 67 years old. But in saying that, it is very rare for people who were found guilty of murder to actually get parole. Um, But he will be eligible in 2046. But they did get him in the end. Good. The fucking bastard. Oh my God. But yeah, because that's the thing. We are like all... Is the word like over centralized or sent, you know, like with TV and stuff where you're very, like, very, sens- everything's very sensational. Yeah. Uh, that's the word. Cause so you're like, oh, maybe, but then you're like, really, it probably is as simple as it is. It looks, you know, the first thing you see is probably the right answer, you know? And it's probably, I think the thing that would have thrown me was like the thing with the bag, you just think, my God, could somebody be that stupid? But maybe he just was. Yeah, the bag thing is definitely weird, but then it's also like, you know, yeah, I don't know, like, but he, it's not probably not even stupid, as in it's probably like a level of cockiness, you know, people who have money just think maybe arrogance, yeah. So he probably was like, oh, they'll they'll never come. There's no reason if they were having like a secret relationship, like there's no reason for them to come. Maybe. Well, it's it's interesting how like it was actually his own behavior after the fact which got him in the end because obviously then the fact that this man was like thankfully the majority of men we know would not commit such a heinous crime as to you know sexually assault or rape a woman so the fact that he was found guilty in 2004 people went back and said well okay this is a bit too convenient now um but it did take obviously it took like it took years like 13 years after a murder to actually try him again. But how heartbreaking must it have been for that family when they had to release the jury and were told he's free, we we can't try him again on this. And then there's also as well, like, obviously the Brad is a shitty guy for being... In- he was a fucking asshole as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then there's also like, a, even I'd say a lot of people in that town... Pro- 
probably still thought he was the murderer as well. Yeah, yeah. So he he was an asshole, but in all likelihood, I mean, who's to say, you know, this is just what the criminal court case found. You know, in all likelihood, he didn't kill her. It was Denny. But like, obviously, anyone, sorry, who physically abuses their girlfriend is not a good guy either. But maybe he's, you know, a reformed man, blah, blah, blah. But no, 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 no. Ever reformed, I think, well capable, but like, um, of murder. But the, yeah, if you're able to hit, a, like, even just like, he could have just hit, like, she probably had like a fucking, um, a, a limit. Like, a, what's the word where you're, oh yeah, an expiration date dating Brad anyway, because there's only one hit, one hit where you could hit her in the head and she'd be dead, you know? So. Yeah. And he's, well, he obviously, you know, he, with the trial, et cetera, even though, you know, people were thinking it's either Danny or it's Brad, like he obviously wasn't punished in a criminal criminal sense, but at least people did become aware of his abusive behaviour. Exactly. And then, you know, the, um, the woman that Denny went on to rape, um, what a fucking weird name as well, Denny, like a pack of sausages. I know, Denny, because I was like, it must be Danny. And I then checked a few sources. I was like, no, it's Denny. OK, probably. Yeah. Would it be short for Dennis? Yeah, I guess so. Never liked a Dennis. But anyway, I mean, it's very sad that she had to go through that. Ultimately, that was, I think, what led them retrying for Hannah, but just very, very sad. And so, I mean, so sad that it took so long for the family to get that. Awful, Jesus Christ. So poor Hannah. So that is the death of Hannah Hill. Katie, thank you so much for coming on Crimeland. Now, if we want to find you, Katie, your Instagram is very, very funny, I have to say. Ah, thank you. It's at Katie Boyle Comic. Um, Love us, and okay. then we've got your podcast, The Shift, and what is the name of the new one? Uh, we met IRL. <laughs> I love it, Katie. Thanks so much for coming on for the chats. Oh, thank you so much. That's so interesting. I love this podcast. This is great. Oh, you're the, well, spread the spread the crime like gospel. If you want my Katie, you've been such a joy. I just love chatting to you. So you're just the best. Thanks so much. Thank you. Chat to you real soon. Bye. Bye. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.